0: How many of you shot for the Total Body Transformation this year when you set out for your 2018 resolutions? All right, we are like two people. Sweet. How many of you are still going? We're six weeks in. Hey, you guys are doing better than I am. Um, I'm really bad about resolutions. And the reason is I never stick with them. I never end up making it past like week four or five. So I've switched over and instead I try to make goals at the beginning of the year because resolutions just don't make the long-term changes that I need, that I want, that I'm looking for. And so what I love that we do here at Epic is that we don't really focus on looking to make individual changes in our lives. We don't look to make resolutions. We start out every year by doing a fast together. Now, if you're new with us, you may have missed this entirely. Uh, If not, maybe this is your first time. But what we do as a church family is we fast together for two weeks to focus on what God has for us. And this is what Trent challenges with every year. Fast from something, fast for something. So give up something to hear from God and fast for something specific. Ask God to speak very clearly in your life about one thing so that you can really pay attention to that thing. So this year, as we got into the beginning of the fast, I was praying, about, okay, God, what do you want us to pray about? What do you want us as a family, uh, me and my wife as a couple, me individually, what do you want us to fast for? And I felt like God said, I need you to fast about your finances. Something needs to change. Some stuff had gotten out of control, out of hand, maybe a little bit. And so we weren't quite living our finances out like we should. And so God said, this is what you need to pay attention to. And so I said, okay, that's great. I totally am looking for some changes in our finances, so that's what I'm going to fast for. And I fasted for about a week, and right in the middle of the fast, right after the first week, I felt like God really clearly told me exactly what needed to happen with my finances. It was not the answer i was looking for anybody else have that experience during the fast yeah now it was the answer i needed it wasn't the answer i was looking for i'm going to make you wait on that till the end of the message so that you stick with me for the rest of the time um there are areas in our lives things in our lives circumstances situations that we want to change right we want something different in our finances in our relationships, um, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in our families, but we want circumstances in our lives to change. We want them to be transformed. And that's what the series that we're in in this, this uh, next little while is all about. Because the cool part is there are areas of our lives that God wants to transform. He wants them to look different. He wants that long-term result, not the resolution thing, not the short-term, let's fix it for six or eight weeks, Let's see long term results in our lives. Let's change deep down. Let's transform the way these things work in our lives. So that's what we're looking at over this series for this next little while. And that's what we're looking at today because transformation begins in a very specific area. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And I know it's kind of dark in here. So if you can't see, it's okay. We're going to put everything up on the screens. Um, But Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. And Paul was a guy who understood transformation. He lived it. This is a guy who went from persecuting the church and killing Christians to a total 180 and building churches, starting churches, taking the gospel to the farthest reaches of the world as it was known at that time. He completely transformed. So this is the guy that we're gonna focus on over this next little while as we see what did he have to say about transformation. So Romans chapter 12. And Romans is a beautiful letter. It's this letter to the, to the church in Rome and all of us get to read it. And it has this amazing picture of what the theology of what we believe looks like, right? The theory, okay, for 11 chapters, for chapters one through 11, Paul writes about the gospel. He writes about our victory that we have in Jesus. He writes about who God is to us. He writes about justification. He just, these beautiful pictures of what it looks like to live with God. And then he says, as he often does, that we have to do something with the information that he's given us, right? You can't just know about it because if you just know about it, it's useless. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul makes the switch as he always does. And in verse one, he says, and so dear brothers and sisters, in another translation, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, And you guys have heard me say this from stage before and it's cheesy and I'm okay with it. The therefore is there for a reason. You can laugh. It's okay. I'm not hurt by it, I promise. Um, If you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to stop. And you need to go back and figure out what the writer was talking about prior to that. Get some context, figure out what he was setting up. And like I said, Paul sets up for 11 chapters. This is what our gospel looks like. This is what our relationship with Jesus looks like. This is what we get because of it. And then he says, therefore. So because of all of this, Paul writes, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I beg you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul says, look, because of everything we just talked about, because now you understand the grace that God has in your lives. Because of all of that, now do this. Worship God with yourselves. Now, The people he was writing to, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, understood worshiping by sacrifice. But their sacrifice was they brought an animal or uh, something to burn, and they put it on an altar, and it was dead, and then they burned it, and that was a sacrifice, either to God for the Jews or for the Gentiles, for the Romans and the Greeks that he was writing to. That would have been to whatever God in their pantheon that they were following, And they understood that, but Paul says, that's not what I want you to do. A dead sacrifice is worthless to God in this situation. If you are dead, you can't do anything. So Paul says, don't show up dead to God. Come as a living sacrifice, able to do something because God has stuff for you to do come as a living, a willing and intelligent sacrifice. An animal is brought not knowing anything that's getting ready to happen. And Paul says, that's not what you're looking to do. Show up intelligently, willing to give yourselves to God. A living and a holy sacrifice. And all that Paul means in this moment here by this word is that we are set apart and dedicated to what God has for us to do. Completely set apart for his work. That's a holy and living sacrifice to God. So Paul says, here's everything that God's done for you. This is what you need to do because of that. And a lot of times when we're talking about worship, we use Romans 12.1 to talk about what worship looks like in our lives, right? That it's more than just singing on a Sunday morning or having a little quiet time, that worship is our whole life. But Paul here, he has these two verses, which our Bible separates, but in his letter is all a single thought. And so he continues on, he says, so this is what worship looks like. This is what you're supposed to do in response to the grace that God has in your life. And then he continues on, he tells us how to do that. So verse two, Romans chapter 12. So don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, Paul gives us this sweeping command. Here's what you're supposed to do offer yourself as a living, holy sacrifice. Okay, that sounds overwhelming. And Paul says, it, it is, but this is how you do it. First off, stop trying to copy everything you see around you. All right, quit trying to conform to what you see, quit trying to be like everything you see in the world around you. That's step one. Right? When we have situations in our lives that we want different, right? maybe our finances aren't working out, maybe our relationships don't look right, what we do is we look around and we say, oh, hey, you know that guy at work, he is driving a nice car, his house is beautiful, he never has to worry about going out and buying lunch, he's not carrying a brown bag with a sandwich that's two days old, right? he has it together, I want to be just like him when it comes to my money, maybe I'll go check that out. Or maybe our relationships just don't look right. We can never make friends. We can never get it together. We never kind of seem to be juggling things. And so we see somebody and we go, you know what? They're always out there making the right kinds of friends. They look like they have the right relationships. They have the right inroads. They have the way to network. I want to be just like that. And Paul says, stop trying to copy the stuff around you. Because in our world, everything is broken. And when you copy something that's broken, you just end up being broken. So stop trying to copy the behaviors and the patterns that you see around you. Instead, no matter how good it looks, instead of copying that, allow God to transform who you are. So quit looking to make those little situations in life look like something else. Instead, allow God to change you from the inside out. We don't need change in our lives, guys. We need transformation. That's what Paul is talking about. And the word that he uses here for transformation is the same word that we get the word metamorphosis from. So it's not a small change. It's not a shift. It's not a, let me just tweak this and try and get it down the right road. It is a complete change from the squirmy little caterpillar to the beautiful creation, the work of art in nature that is a butterfly that catches our breath every time we see it. That's The change Paul is talking about, the transformation, the complete change from the inside out. And then Paul takes a really interesting twist and he says, this starts by allowing God to renew our minds, to change the way we think. And I'm amazed that this is where Paul starts with it. He doesn't start with our hearts He doesn't start with our actions. He doesn't start by saying, hey, if you start doing this, then something else will happen. It's start by renewing, allowing God to renew our minds. And here's why he hits this. So back in Romans chapter 7, a few chapters before this, Paul is talking about our internal nature, right? The way that we're wired. And we are wired in a sin nature, right? We are born into sin. Um, and this is what he calls the before Christ, right? The, it's our BC lives. So, and you guys can put this, this uh, slide up. So it starts with Adam, all right? All of us are wired into sin, are born into sin because we all come from Adam, that first person to bring sin into the world. And all of us fall into that. So we come from Adam, we have sin in our lives. Our lives are ruled by sin, and all that comes from that is death. That's it. There is only one result of sin in our lives, and that is death. We live under the law, condemned by it. That's where that list of 10 commandments, the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, that all comes because God needed to show us we were doing the wrong thing, that we didn't have it together. And so the law was created just so we would know, oh, we're messing up, and we're ruled by our flesh. It's our sinful desires, those wants that we have, that's what urges us forward. That's what leads us down the road. And so our flesh, when we're living before Jesus, is what controls us, what makes all of those decisions for us. But Paul in chapter seven says, guess what? That doesn't have to be the end. Because if you choose a relationship with Jesus, if you choose to accept what he has done for us, he's paid the price, then we have a new nature a Jesus nature inside of us. This is our AC, our after Christ life. It begins with Jesus. Instead of sin, we have righteousness and obedience to God. That's where we begin to live. Instead of death, we come into life. Instead of law, instead of living under the law, condemned by it, we are justified by God's grace in our lives. And instead of being ruled by the flesh, we surrender to God and we are led by the Spirit. Entirely new nature given to us by God when we begin to follow Jesus. Unfortunately, it's not a switch and it's done. As he's writing about this, Paul talks about his battle that he continues with on a daily basis with his sin nature. This is a guy who started A ridiculous number of churches wrote over half of our New Testament was inspired by God to lead the church in a new direction to give us, non-Jews, an opportunity to hear about the gospel. And he writes this in chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, I don't really understand myself, for I do what I want to do. Let me try that again. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Paul says, look, I know what the right thing is, but instead I'm over here doing this other thing. This is Paul, guys. If Paul deals with this, guess what we're dealing with on a regular basis? The exact same thing. Skip down to verse 19. Paul says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He's in this constant battle with his sin nature. That nature doesn't just disappear. It is constantly there. It is something that we fight on a regular basis. Paul says in verse 20, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, don't think that Paul's shirking the responsibility for his actions here. What he's saying is that's that sin nature. When I do the wrong thing, even after I've chosen to live for Jesus... That's that sin nature that I'm up against all the time. And this is why Paul says that our transformation begins with renewing our mind, renewing the way that we think, changing our internal process so that we quit dwelling in the sin nature and we allow Jesus's nature inside of us to begin to take over. And when that transformation happens, then we see long-term results. Then we see our behavior change. Romans 12, 2, at the end of the verse, he said, once you've gone through that transformation, then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We can't even know what God wants us to do until we begin this transformation. We certainly can't do it. And so God says, allow me to renew your mind, to change the way you think, To change you, transform you from the inside out, and then, then you will see the long term results. We really want God to change the circumstances. We really want God to change the situation. We want the quick and easy fix because that's much easier on us. But God says, look, that's not the way this is gonna work. We need to think differently so that we can live differently. That's the only way it happens. When we begin to think like God wants us to think, then we will live like God wants us to live. It'll help us to stop leaning back into that sin nature. It helps us to walk the path that God has for us, to find the things that he has prepared for us. In another letter, in in the letter of Ephesians, Paul writes, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. So Paul writes and he says, look, God has all these amazing things he wants you to be a part of. He wants to partner with you. He wants you to go and live this out. But we can't do it if we don't know what it is. We can only begin to know what it is when we allow God to change the way we think and begin that transformation from the inside out. Back to my fast at the beginning of the year, I wanted the circumstances to change (laughs) I wanted the quick fix. I wanted the easy, you know what? We're going to take this. We're going to change this in your finances. We're going to get this little help right here. And then you're going to be good to go. Like I knew the plan. I told God the plan. You know how well that worked out. (laughs) I had this all figured out and it worked. It made sense on paper. It made sense to people I talked to about it. Like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Let's go that direction. So We started down the road. Carla and I prayed about it every step of the way and every single step, a door closed and another door closed and another door closed. So I realized I need to quit pulling on these door handles. I'm not gonna get down this road any further. And so I stopped. And in the second week of the fast, God said, okay, now let's talk about the way you think about your finances. Let's talk about the way you look at your finances, your worldview around your finances? Are you looking at it my way or your way? And as I began to allow God to change the way I thought about my finances, I realized he had a totally different plan. And he has thoughts way further in the future than I do. And I needed to just see it all like he saw it. That was going to be what produced the long-term behavior changes. If he had fixed the situation right here, right now, that would have been great for a little while. But what happens a year down the road, five years, 10 years down the road, and I'm back to my old ways again because I didn't allow God to change the way I thought about things. Now he's making that shift. And now five or 10 years down the road, I'm praying I'm smart enough to stick with what he has to think about and that that long-term behavior change is what sets in. So here's the super exciting part for all of us. This is a process every single time. This is not instantaneous. This isn't easy. This isn't automatic. It's not like we get into a relationship with Jesus, and he flips a switch, and everything's there, and we're good to go. This is an ongoing, regular process with him. And I think part of the reason is Because that takes a relationship, right? That's not a one and done thing where I go in, I say my prayer, I surrender, and I'm done, and now I can go back over here. No, God wants the regular, everyday relationship. That's what He's looking for. He loves us like that. He wants to be close to us like that. It's not easy, it's hard work. It's not something you do real well on your own either because we get dug into these ruts in life and there's no way of getting out of it. You guys have seen a car stuck on the side of the road, right? Like not on a swale where they kick up a little dirt, I mean stuck in the dirt, right? Carl and I were driving home from a worship event. It was like 7 or 8 years ago and it was late at night. We were on this curvy, wet road. It had been raining all night in Banel, some little county road that I don't know the number of. And as we turn around a corner, my headlights light up, a car stuck in front of me. And so I slam on my brakes, we fishtail and we stop. And this guy had been stuck in the ditch for a little while. Like he is way out. It's a rear wheel drive car and he's been shoving on the gas trying to get out. So the, t- the mud's like two thirds of the way up his rims. He's not going anywhere. So I had just come out of a worship event. I'm like, hey, I'm ready to change the world. Let's help this guy. I open up the door, step out, and calf deep into mud and water. So now I am stuck helping this guy because I didn't do that for nothing. So I get out of the car, and I go, and for like 20 minutes— We're back, and we're pushing on his car, and we're rocking back and forth. I'm grabbing just junk out of my trunk, trying to get under his tires. And 20, 25 minutes later, we finally get him out of the rut, back onto the road, and he's on his way, and he's good to go. And I track a ridiculous amount of water back into my car because of it. That's not the point of the story. I promise I'm not bitter about that. (laughs) We don't get out of this stuff, and we don't get the transformation we need on our own. We talk about this all the time. You're probably so tired of hearing about it, but Chris talked about it this morning. We've got these transform groups coming up. If you're not part of a group, try it out. Five weeks is nothing, right? It is nothing in your life. But let me tell you, the change, the transformation that God wants in your life that is best for each and every one of us, it doesn't happen in the, 55, 60 minutes we have here on a Sunday morning surrounded by 120 of our closest friends. (laughs) It happened in those one-off conversations on a Wednesday night over a cup of coffee in a group of like eight, 10, or 12 people. And you're sitting down with somebody going, man, I'm just going through it right now. And they just stop and they listen and you talk. And like 15 minutes into it, they go, you know what? I don't really know the best way to fix that, but let me pray with you about it. Let's see if we can find something. Let's, let's pray about it together. Let's search the Bible together. Let's see if we can find the change that you need in your life to fix that behavior, to do that thing, to get out of that rut. It happens shoulder to shoulder with each other, not on our own. It's not easy, but it is totally, totally worth it. Those relationships are amazing, and I wouldn't trade them for the world. So what's it look like in real life to change the way we think, right? Let me just tell you two ways this is playing out in my life right now, okay? And, and this is just stuff that I've been going through over the past few months, so this may or may not inspire you, um, but I hope maybe it gives you a little idea of maybe some of the stuff God can do in our lives when we allow him to transform the way we think. The first is this, I realized that I needed to change the way I thought about my situations in general, right? That my worldview, okay, that I needed to get out of the way I normally thought about things and into the way God thought about them. And so this became kind of a mantra, for lack of a better term, in my life. Philippians 4, verse eight says this, Paul writing once again, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right, right, pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, I'm not a super negative guy. Right? I try to, try to stay upbeat. I try to stay positive about things. But there are situations we get into into life, no matter what, that take us down that road, where we get critical and we get negative and we get down. And what God began to do was he would take this verse and he would help me to shift and renew the way I thought about those situations. And so originally, it was like five times a day, my phone went off and I would stop and I would read this verse. And no matter what I was doing in that moment, I would stop and say, okay, God, am I looking at this in a right way, in a pure way, in a lovely way, in an admirable way? Or am I down the wrong road? Am I negative about this? Am I critical about this? Do I need to stop and change the way I'm thinking about it? Now, it's something that I do just every morning. I get up in the morning, and one of the first things that I do is I open my Bible, and I read this verse, and I pray, and I say, God, today, just today, renew the way that I think. Prepare me for what you have this morning, for what you have for the rest of the day. Give me the kind of mindset that I need, your mindset, God, your worldview, to help me get through today, and that's it. And that's become just a regular part of my life. And it has drastically changed the way that I come into a situation. It has drastically changed the way that I see those things. It doesn't mean that I don't get negative or critical, but I get out of that thinking very quickly. And this helps to kind of reset and renew the way that I'm thinking about that stuff. So that's one way is that God has begun to shift the way that I just look at my world around me and the situations and the people I come into contact with. So that's one thing. The other is this. God has begun to change the way I think about myself. God has begun to change the way that I view my identity. Now, I have been a Christ follower for a very long time. I was baptized, and I gave my life to Jesus when I was eight years old. And I knew what I was doing. I was sure of the decision. And I have been a Christ follower ever since. But I missed something along the way, and I don't really know where it happened. But somewhere along the way, I missed the fact that there are certain parts of my identity that I was taking from the world around me that God said, no, that's not who you are. That's not who I say you are. And so I've begun to rethink the way that I look at myself by the way God looks at me. So I have this list, uh, and I call them confessions of who I am, my identity, in Jesus. It's just a word to say that this is what I believe. This list, 53 things that the Bible says, this is how God looks at me. And here are a few examples. The Bible says that because of the decision I made to follow Jesus, I am a child of God. I have peace with God. I am not condemned by God. I am blameless and beyond reproach. My needs are met by God. These are who I am. This is what God says about me. This is what God says about you. You know how easy it is to miss this stuff? The my needs are met thing. Let me tell you what, that's something that I never think, right? I'm the one working. I'm the one putting a paycheck into the bank. I'm the one working to put food on the table. That all comes, no. My needs are met by God. My family's needs are met by God but man, what about that thing that I did last week that I fight against all the time and I know I shouldn't do it. I know I shouldn't go down that road and I'm just gonna beat myself. No, God says, I don't condemn you because Jesus has already paid the price. You need to stop dwelling in that. You need to turn from it and quit doing it. That'd be great, but you are not condemned by God. He's already paid the price. I'm gonna geek out for just a second. I apologize for this. The way our brains are wired, we have neurons that create these pathways in our brains, okay? And over time, when we think something for a period of time, when we do something for a period of time, they create these highways in our brains, these super highways in our brains, and they are really hard to get up. It's those ruts that we get stuck in, right? So when we have an idea about who we are, when we have an identity idea. That's been built into us for years or decades. That's not something you get rid of overnight. So, what these help me do is they help me break down that old highway and build a brand new one. I am now a child of God. I used to think that I was a child of the world, but now I'm a child of God. Now, those pathways in our brains are hard to break down. And so, the way this has been taught to me is this. Seven minutes a day, 63 days in a row. That's how you break an old habit, an old thought, an old lifestyle, and begin to put it into a new place. Seven minutes a day, 63 days. So for 63 days, I spent seven or ten minutes repeating these phrases to myself. Believing. At first, no. At first, I thought, this is the dumbest thing in the world as I repeat these phrases to myself over and over again. 30 or 40 days into it, I'm starting to memorize them. And all of a sudden, they're becoming a part of who I am. 63 days in, and all of a sudden, I actually believe a lot of this stuff, which is really pretty cool. But then that sin nature creeps back in. So you don't stop at 63 days. You keep going. You hit 64 and 65 and 80 and 90. And then this becomes a habit in our lives that we are reminding ourselves daily What does God think of me? How do I need to think of myself? So this is two ways that God has transformed my thinking, right? Renewed the way that I think. So I see the world and I see myself much more like he sees the world and he sees me. As we begin this series, I want to encourage you guys. What is something that you need to begin rethinking? In just a minute, a worship team's gonna come out and they're gonna lead us through one last song. And I wanna encourage you to pray about that for the first part of this song. Ask God, what is it you want me to think about differently? What is that thing in my life I need transformation in? God, how can I begin to think about it as you think about it? Just find the thing. You're not gonna get an answer to the crisis this morning most likely, but you may just get that one thing that you can begin to focus on for the next several weeks as we do this together. So let's pray, and then we'll sing together to wrap up. Father God, I thank you that you love us so much that you want to have a relationship with us. You're not looking for the one and done. You said the words, you prayed the prayer, I'm gonna fix everything, and you're on your way. God, you want a relationship with us, and that relationship has its ups and downs, Father God, it it has its moments, but no matter what, it draws us to be more like Jesus. Slowly but surely, we transform into the people that you want us to be, that do the things that you want us to do. God, I pray that you would begin to work in us today. Highlight that one thing, Father God. Highlight that situation, that circumstance, that thought, whatever it is that we need to let go of this morning and allow you to transform. And Father God, as we begin this journey together into transforming our lives to look like you want it to look, God, I pray that we would have courage to do the hard work and to do it with each other, to do it together. Change us, Father God, this morning from inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.